Um, welcome to the RSE's Post-Covid Futures Commission. I'm delighted to be joined by the comedian, the award-winning comedian, uh, Janie Godley, who has discovered a new voice during the pandemic, the alternative voice of the First Minister of Scotland, or perhaps even her inner voice. Janie, before we even talk about the First Minister, tell me about your own experience of the pandemic in your family, in the community, in your neighbourhood. Um, well, it's... Weirdly, it's kind of okay in a sense because my husband's got autism, so he is really not into meeting a lot of people and quite enjoys the mask and the social distancing. This is his utopia. Um, my daughter Ashley, who is also a stand-up broadcaster and writer, she's been doing our live radio shows from her bedroom, so I have to be very quiet between 10 o'clock and 1 o'clock on a Friday night um, and not let the dog tap-tap about the floor. And myself, it's been weird because I'm very much an outside animal. For the first time in my life, I feel like an old woman because I stay in the house and I do housework and I work out menus and I've turned into that woman for brief <laughs> encounter but without the train station incident. And, um, and that's weird because I'm normally out the house six, seven months of the year. But, and we're going to go on and talk about also the character Betty, who's very much in her house yes. uh, later uh, 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 in the conversation. Uh, but you, all, you already had the Frank Get the Door yeah. that's turned into this... <laughs> I mean, Frank Get the Door, I'd be not unsurprised to hear Joe Biden say Frank Get the Door. <laughs> I've already made Trump say it, so on a video. Um, Frank Get the Door was originally about three years ago when he got the door for Theresa May on the day of her... Um, resignation she was at the podium you know, Frank get the door I hate the whole lot of them and um, Frank was originally a customer in my pub I owned a pub um, between 1980 and 1994 um, back in the east end of Glasgow and Frank was a guy who whenever there was any problems and I would go Frank get the door and he'd hold the door back while he read a paperback cowboy novel he was so laid back and I would get the person out or he would get them for me so Frank was a real character. He's very quiet and very unassuming. And I'm sure he's passed away now, but he doesn't know he's dead famous. He's dead and famous. He's dead and famous. <laughs> Not only is he dead and famous, he's been immortalised by the First Minister. Yes, he has. And I think it was just something nice to say at the end of each COVID briefing. It was like, Frank, get the door. I want to be quiche and beans today. <laughs> you know, just in normal. I think the point was, is the COVID briefings were so... Same, 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 mm. same, same, and monotonous. So I kind of try to make the message stronger. And, and, the, and the danger with the COVID briefings, whoever is delivering them, being samey, is that people don't listen and people stop listening. You glaze over at a point. So yeah. I pick out the most important parts. Right. So what gave you the idea of being the First Minister's secret inside voice and there was nothing i was bored in the house you see the voiceovers were very successful before covid i had just done a tour mm -hmm. with the live voiceovers and the voiceover started when ashley and i get up and we would put on the tv in the afternoon and it'd be some old submarine film with anthony quayle and yeah. david niven <laughs> or something yes. and ashley and i go oh, there's no entertainment on this boat is there we would voice over them just to keep ourselves happy and we did that we still do it we still turn the volume down and voice over f entire tv shows and makes us giggle you know 
Um, some mother and daughters do crafting and stamping together. We do comedy together. And um, so then when the COVID briefings came out, I just thought, there's an awful lot of blah, blah, blah here. Let me pick this up a pace. And it was just, everybody, just stay in, or I'm going to come out and put my toe up the crack of your ass. So people went, oh, that's right, just stay in, or Nicola will kick us up the bum. But um, she was delivering quite a clear message. Yeah. And I, and I, I wonder, did you ever worry that the alternative message almost was going to be the one that was going to garner more attention? I, ho- I, I, I didn't care. The point was, as the message was getting out, stay in the house, mm-hmm. stop gathering in the parks with your barbecues and your in the height of summer with your frisbees and your, don't let me catch you out there. And fine, if you want to die, go die. That's what's going to happen. I basically imagined a wee woman called Jeanette at a bus stop and how she was translating the Nicola briefings mm-hmm. to her friend, wee Agnes. So she'd be standing, did you see that Nicola in the telly? We have not to go out. We've got to stay in the house. And I just voiced that. The, um, as, as it has gone on, and, and, and they've become, I think, even funnier, um, and actually bolder in a way, I think. Yeah. And also, but also, um, you know, it's okay to be emotionally, this is an emotionally frightening time. You're giving yourself license almost to say more and to yeah. try and be more part of that whole message coming from politicians, coming from journalists, coming from comedians. Absolutely, and I did it through my wee sausage dog as well for children. Yeah. I did one so that the wee sausage dog could say, I give her a wee carrot and her mouth moves, and then I speak over and I was like, it's okay to be frightened, mm-hmm. everybody's frightened, but if we do what our mummy and daddy tells us and try and just keep ourselves, our hands clean and know, and we're missing our grannies and grandas, so I did it through the dog as well, so children could hear it because those ones don't have swearing in it, because believe it or not, I can actually talk without swearing. I know, no. you? Yes, absolutely. And um, so I did once with the, the sausage dog. And what I do privately is, as well, there's a lot of people write to me and say their wee kid loves honey and they're having a bad time. And I do a wee personal video for them. And I'll, is that you, Alexander? Sweet honey here. I'm sending you all my love. And we send them out as well so that we kids can have some connection with the adult world of Corona. I want just to talk uh, very briefly about the, the technicalities of doing this. I mean, how quickly do you Six get minutes. that down? <laughs> Six minutes. Literally my phone. Do that. Do that. Do that. Blah, 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 blah. Do that. Render. No, send. but I mean the decision of what you're going to Oh, no, it's say. all improvised. I've never thought anything out. The only time I've ever edited it was when I got a name wrong. I got somebody's name wrong. And then I had to go back and take it off the web and start again and do the name. No, it's all improvised. And do you ever think there's something you've said which you regret? Yes, I'm a human being. I've said hundreds of things I regret. I remember agreeing to get married when I was 18. That was huge. <laughs> no, no, I mean on the... I know. Yes, of course. Of course, as a comedian, I look back in some of the old videos. I saw one last night and I, on, on YouTube and I look back and I go, God, why would I... Have, why, why is that acceptable to say then but not now? You know, and it was very innocuous, but I just thought, yeah, of course you regret saying things. Have you had any acknowledgement uh, from the Scottish Government about the impact of what you're doing? Because it's almost like there is now not one briefing, but there are two briefings, and that people can say, well, actually, I can watch Nicola Sturgeon, and then I can watch Janie Godley being Nicola Sturgeon. It's almost like two for one. Yeah, I've had quite a lot of criticism from the unionist side saying that 
you know, a true satirist slags the government, why don't you make a foolier? And I'm like, okay, first of all, you don't think I'm funny, so if I did that, why would you watch it? Because you've already said I'm no funny, so I don't do requests. And secondly, find me a unionist comedian in Scotland and I will ask them to do it for you, and apparently there's none. So it's, it's not in the fact that, put it this way, see if it was Ruth Davidson up there giving out the message, I'd do exact same. Yeah. It's not about the politician, it's not about the politics, it's about getting the message of coronavirus out there in a funny, informed, stupid, cheeky, mildly offensive way. The... For, let's take an example um, where uh, what you and I would do would have to be very different. So let's take the whoever it was, two or three hundred fans outside Celtic Park mm-hmm. protesting about Neil Lennon. Now, I would be able to say as a journalist, there were X number of fans outside. They were there from this time to that time. There were X number of police officers. X number were hurt. Proportionately, statistically, it would suggest that of those fans... Several would have um, elderly parents, several of people working in the care mm-hmm. sector, whether it be home care or NHS or whatever. I could say that and people can make up their own minds, but you can just fire in. Yeah, I could just fire in and say, <laughs> what a bunch of absolute assholes standing outside shouting at a but, but the good thing is, is when they were there, they weren't annoying me online, so I was secretly happy about that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I can see it in a different way, you know, that the way I can say, you know, Trump is up there standing and he's like, I've won, and I can get that, you never. I've no won this, I'm really angry. Melania's packing up the ladder on Capi de Monte as we speak. She's got the big suitcase <laughs> off the top of the wardrobe and we're off. And I can do it that way. And it makes me laugh. And it kind of gives me an alternative voice to all the horrible stuff that's happening in the world, mm-hmm. you know. But, I mean, you feel now some kind of literally personal responsibility for getting a pandemic message out <laughs> as a comedian. I mean... <laughs> no, I, I'm not responsible. But, I mean, it is, it is as if we need to hear the Janie Godley version yeah, as well. Yeah, well, I think we all kind of know what it is now. So I think we all know we need to stay in the house. We have to stop gathering, wear your mask, clean your hands, and stop thinking you're particularly exempt from this situation or I'll run out and put my toe up the crack of your behind. I think they all know now. But the question is, is that more effective than a yes. straight political message? Yes, it is more effective, I think, because... I can have an authentic voice where I don't... I'm self-employed. Who's, who's going to sack me for saying that? Nobody. So I can say it and get the message out there. Um, and I do my best just to make it funny and informative and educate it without being, you know, the BBC. It's just me in my living room. And what about the clarity of the message? Because, of course, one of the things that has been said during the whole pandemic is that Nicola Sturgeon's message has been clear and has been focused. And some of the other messages have not. Has there ever been a point where you've thought, I'm not sure she got it right today, I'll just alter that in my voiceover? No, I've, I've actually, when Catherine Calderwood messed up, I ripped her. And when, um, what was the other woman? Uh, Margaret Ferrier. Mm-hmm. When she, and I've actually had Nicola Sturgeon berate them through my voice, going, I'm going to have to put a, uh, find friends on them to see where they are, you know? And that was that Margaret on a train, honest to God, you can't trust your own people at times. You know, I will say it mm-hmm. because, and if I think she gets, I mean, I don't know if she gets it wrong because we don't know the figure, you know? If I think that sometimes it's too technical and I'll just say, right, a lot of people are dying again. That covers it. I wonder that brings us on to the idea of what is science, because the idea is that 
you know, we're all meant to think, well, you know, science is a, a discipline which must have only one outcome. But now we've learned during the pandemic that as many people um, are interested in it, have different opinions in it, yeah. are actually technically scientists. I mean, there is no one opinion of science. And I think that's really difficult for people. Yes. Yes, of course it is. And there's a lot of misinformation. Straight away when they announced the vaccine, people were like, oh, well, what about thalidomide? Thalidomide wasn't a vaccine. No. You know, and you get a lot of... So it's, I feel as comedian's job to say to people, right, stop this. I have it on my Facebook page. If you put up any anti-vax or misinformation, I'm going to block you. Mm-hmm. You need to stop doing this. I'll happily take the vaccine. I know men, a man contacted me and went, oh, I wouldn't take the vaccine. Wait, mate, you used to take homemade ecstasy when you drank in my pub. I understand your theory here, you know. <laughs> so I think it's important that we all as a society but are doing that. And people say, yeah, but... They have to have a platform. No, you don't. If a flat earther comes to you and says, I want to talk about the flat earth, you have no reason to platform them because that's not a thing. <laughs> By the way. That's not a thing. No, don't platform them because you're discussing a ridiculous thing. So people will say, but they're entitled to the platform. Yeah, they are. But no, we me. They but can then, go and talk to Betty at the bus stop. But then you would have the SAGE committee, you would have independent SAGE, and yeah. then you would have what the government do because all the SAGE just advises the government. And so it's understandable, I think, that there's been so much information out there that people genuinely do feel conflicted and confused and worried because of this idea that, my goodness, my job is so insecure, they might say, should I go out to my job? Should we go out? What should we do? And I wonder if then comedians and people actually, other cultural figures, can have a role in trying to demystify a lot of that. Well, I think that if the government can demystify it, I'm going to have a problem (laughs) demystifying it. But yeah, I agree, there is so much information and there is so much science that we have to believe in and there is, and, and quite rightly so. But at the same time, we have to make up our own minds to basically every single family, as far as I'm concerned, this is just my opinion, every single family is a single unit. And it's up to that single unit to decide, do we just throw caution to the wind or do we try and stick to the rules? And, and that is as basic as this comes down to. But... It, it, it maybe is an individual decision, but a family's individual decision could impact a much wider community. And I wonder if you feel in any way that you have a role to be stopped right there. Well, I wouldn't like to please everybody else, no. but I just do it through the videos and say, look, the longer you go out, the longer we have to stay in. It is that simple. The more you go out without a mask and touch all the vegetables in the shop and annoy everybody and stun in pubs and shout at the top, the more you break the rules, the more we can yeah. get out. And that's as basic as I can put it. I think, though, um, it must have been particularly hard for people who already live on their own. Yes. Who are in whatever age, actually, but probably kind of... 60s onwards. This must have been an incredibly tough time. I wonder if people in their 70s and 80s and 90s, I'm sure they do, find you. Yes, on, they do. Right, I tell get me lots of that. emails. Well, and uh, at the very beginning of the pandemic, my daughter Ashley and I, every single night, seven nights a week, we would do a live Facebook stream from the fan page so you didn't have to be a friend, you could just watch it. And we would chat for about 40 minutes every single night at nine o'clock. And we would get something like 40,000, 50,000 people watching. And we would be talking about mental health. We would be talking about how difficult it is. We would be laughing. We'd play characters. We'd have a joke. We invented games. We basically... And then lots of people could join in and they're like, Hi, Janie, it's wee Margaret here for Dundee. And I'm like, oh, Margaret, I hope you're well. And 
talk about it and we pull on your emotional life jacket and keep your family afloat and we did wee slogans with each other and we put up links to each other to chat to so now we're down to three days a week we do it Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday nine o'clock Ashley and I do a live stream we get mere viewers and quite a lot of programs <laughs> we put it up and then it stays up so people can watch it again and listen to it and what we've done is, is we've built a community and then I got all these emails every single day we have the email hour and um and people will write to me, my, my, my wee granny um, said she loves your stuff and, and thanks you for giving her a wee shout out and stuff. So we've created our own wee community of trying to help each other. And yes, people all over, the, and it's not just Britain, I get messages from all over the world, people in Alaska, Anchorage. California, Australia, all right to me and say, I sometimes don't understand every word, but my God, you've made us laugh. And you're right. We And then they share their experiences of how the pandemic is affecting them in their country, especially on that live stream. Yeah. We'll have somebody saying, we're in Melbourne, we're COVID free now. We are, but, so people are getting information through different sources. But it's funny because it's as if only through the pandemic has it dawned on people just how isolated many, many people yes. are. And we speak about mental health and we put up mental health links and I talk about mental health problems. I mean, I, I wrote last week that I was feeling really blue and the newspapers picked up my tweet and tell everybody I was dead sad. So that was interesting for me. And I think it's important for people like me and other people who are perceived as very strong to say, I'm really frightened. I get scared. I have five mini panic attacks a day. I can be washing the dishes and go, are we all going to die? No. Right, go back up. You know, and I think it's important to say that out loud so that people are made to feel stupid Mm -hmm. for worrying. Mm -hmm. You know, you do get people, don't be so stupid. It's not stupid to worry. It's not stupid to have mental health um, anxieties and, and vulnerability. That's a very important natural part of being an adult human and child but that whole idea of communicating with people all over the world on your facebook page and on emails that has been an incredible thing that's come out of covid yeah it's it's a shared experience we've got the exact same experiences a boy who wrote to me in madrid we've got the exact same shared experiences a guy who writes to me from holland we we talk about it we we share information Mm -hmm. we share tips and how to do things and we try Ashley and I sometimes at nine o'clock we feel so bleak and sad we can't do it but we go on and we say it's a hard one tonight guys I've not really slept well and Uh and Ashley she cries she just cries some of you'll say oh my mum's in hospital she's trying to calm her down for crying and we try and just be honest about god it's really scary Mm -hmm. But it's better than that. Let's all stick together like the war. No, quit that narrative. This isn't the war. We don't have blackout curtains. We don't have this. People are not dropping bombs. There's a virus out there. But the the the, diff, the other difference is uh, uh, compared to the time uh, uh, like the war and indeed in the sixties and seventies is this idea of community was so much attached to the church before churches. So if Mrs. Thingy wasn't in her pew that day, somebody would be around at the door the next yeah. day saying, what's going on? Now, a lot of that is gone. And a lot of people don't have those kind of uh, mechanisms of making themselves known to the outside world. And I wonder 
if something the pandemic might I mean it's a, it's a bit like Pollyanna here thinking yeah. this might happen might change that might we keep this up I think I think it has changed it you're absolutely right Kirsty because one of the things that came out of the comments on I read all the comments on the live stream and people saying God, we, we, I never even knew my wee neighbour upstairs and, you know, we went up now and, and I go with a mask and I go her shopping for her. That would never have happened. Mm. So, and I've got to know my neighbours more. Have you? That's yeah. interesting. Well, it's not that we never liked each other. It's <laughs> just that we just had different lives. Passing the clothes. But the, the, there's a woman downstairs who just moved in a couple of years ago and, and she's lovely and she's from Richmond, I found that out. And um, her name's Ashley, same as my daughter. And I sat out in the top landing and she sits in her landing and we were discussing, um, She she's done a few university dissertations, you know me, I've left school at 16, I've not even got an O-level. And we were talking about writing and she was saying to me, a good way is to set time aside to write. And we were just having a chat, I've never spoke to, you know, and, and I've met my other neighbours as well, Elaine, I know her. And we have a chat sometimes and we stand away in the landing at each end because we've got a proper old close, you know, and, and we have a natter. And um, and we've asked each other a few, and I've put up notes saying, if MD needs anything, mm. give me a shout. I've got toilet paper. I've got, so if there's anything mm. you need, we're going to be doing a big shop if you can't get out. And that has been nice for me, not so much for my husband who doesn't really like me mm. people. He's like, I don't even know these folk. And I'm like, it's fine, just drop it off at the door. <laughs> and he's been going around delivering all the mail and sanitising uh-huh. it and putting it through their doors for them and stuff. So these wee things have helped. So uh, in terms of the, the broader culture and arts response uh, to COVID, which actually in, in, in Scotland I think has been absolutely phenomenal, one of the big things has been uh, what the National Theatre of Scotland did, mm-hmm. and it was Scenes for Survival, and they are extraordinary. But you came up with your own narrative for that. Tell me about Betty. Well, the National Theatre asked me to write a funny thing, because I'm a comedian, and I thought, oh, I write a funny thing. I want to write a thing about a woman who is suffering coercive control during the pandemic, which is such a very vital subject to speak about. Imagine you're already in a controlling relationship and now you're in one in lockdown. That just ramps that anxiety up a hundred times. And it's proved to be the case. Yes. So I wrote about Betty. And Betty is a, a wee woman who uh, is lovely. She's got a wee sausage dog called Bobo. And... Um, her husband, Jim. Jim can't be tell. You can't tell Jim to wear a mask. Jim is one of these men that, you know, yeah, nobody tells me what to do. And we knew they existed. Um, and women are like that too, so it's not just about... But this is about Jim. And Jim didn't wear a mask. And Betty um, followed all the rules. Because Betty was used to doing what she was told. Because she was coercively controlled her whole life by a man who decided how she would wear her hair, what makeup she would wear, who she could speak to, who she could be friends with. What she could eat. What she could eat. He controlled everything. So it was easy for Betty to follow the rules. But it was hard for Jim, because Jim was the controller. So Jim got the COVID, and uh, he's in that room in there. And um, he died. And, uh, And suddenly Betty is free. Um, she doesn't know what to do with her freedom. Um, they had to come and take him away, and her boy is in London, her Stephen, and um, he left home at 16 because, you know, he couldn't obviously stand his dad. And um, so now Betty has got this life that she's trying to navigate, and she's in lockdown, and 
she's starting to wear brighter colours and let her hair down a wee bit and she's reconnecting with her family and her friends and she's uh, making a lot of noise with her dancing shoes on the wooden floor because Jim didn't like a carpet, didn't like a fabric between his feet, so beneath his feet, so they have wooden flooring and uh, so she's now got on her dancing shoes clumping about. But in the first episode, I mean, you, there's going to be a third episode. You yeah, heard it it's here. It's going to be a fourth. But the third episode is going out on Boxing Day. Yes. And Betty, I think, will continue. I can see Betty in your repertoire. I think Betty is somebody that's, whose life we should not get to see <laughs> open up. Um, it's been a really interesting um, journey with Betty because I had so many um, charities concerning women in violence who contacted me and who have used the video mm-hmm. and asked permission. I was like, yeah, share it, do what you want, use it, show it, do what you need. Because the first one, I mean, and I have the, the luck to see uh, just now uh, what's going on in Boxing Day, where, as you say, she is starting her transformation. It's just like a butterfly coming yeah. out of this chrysalis. Um, but the first one, it, it, was, it was bleak. It was yes. funny. But it was bleak, it was and, bleak. and it really was speaking to the thousands upon thousands of people in that situation. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, my mum was coercively controlled and she eventually was killed. And so I have sort of first-hand experience watching her. Oh, no, Peter's a good man. It's just it's me, I wind him up, you know. And I'm like, mum, you have to get away from him. Oh, God, no. Peter's a good man. It's a good man. And I'm like... And so I I have first-hand experience of waiting to see if they could get my mum's body at the River Clyde, mm-hmm. you know, and and get her very get her cremated, and knowing that and the police not even caring what happened to her, you know, the the, the police came to see me and they said, you know, she was just a wee drunk woman, Janie, and I thought, oh well, I hope the Queen Mother never gets drunk. Case you have to just let her die as well. I said to them at the time, and they were dead annoyed at that. But it was that just dismissive of she's just a wee drunk woman, you know, like the same with the dead with Carol X, the famous yeah, case with that. Absolutely. It's just disregard. She's just a woman of no value. Her life is of no value because she lets society down by being poor and drunk and um, and, and not keeping herself nice. Yes, yeah, not keeping herself neat. So she deserves to die. So. In the first episode, we realise, of course, that Jim... The black humour, of course, is that the COVID has taken him and freed her to have another kind of life. Yeah, she didn't expect that to touch... She expected her and Jim to die together, dead old, while he was controlling her last breaths, probably. Um, And it turns out that she is only 62. I know. And so, she becomes younger in the second she, she and third becomes, episode. She, she realises that she's not an old woman that has to tie her hair back and not wear makeup. She realised she can let her hair down and, and, and dance. And she never, she forgot that. She forgot who she was. And that's what coercive control is. It's a very subtle process of repeat, repeat, repeat propaganda into your head to convince you that you are worthless. Now, in the third episode where you team up with Elaine C. Smith mm-hmm. um, and uh, Isa, your sister, as she is, knew about this all along. And that's another story as well. Yeah, the, People the, that know about it all along and can't do anything about well, it that's or the thing, won't do anything about it. Well, the thing about coercive control is, is everybody can see the movie that you're in 
but you can't because you're in it. They, they, I mean, I remember, you know, friends and, oh, you know, when I had the pub in, in the East End and I would see women say, oh, no, my man doesn't like me wearing that. And I'm like, what? I, I mean, my husband um, had has, has autism, so there's very similar... Um, behaviour patterns, but not in anger, but because of, you know, he will go, I'll tidy your handbag for you. And I'm like, no, you won't, you won't. Yeah. But thank you for offering. Yeah. But he used to want to go in and tidy my handbag. That could look worse of control, but it's not, it's his, his need to put all my pens together with an elastic band. And I'm like, no, pull the elastic band <laughs> off. Ashley and I have been defiant in our mess just to rail against his machine. <laughs> but... Yes. I wonder whether or not you've had since the first two episodes have gone out. Have you had women reach out? To oh you? yes. And I'm, can and, and and is it your business? Not as your business. Is it? Can you give advice? Can you say? No, it's not my business, and I can't give but advice. You, but you must feel you want to. No, I, I do say to people, thank you so much for contacting me. I wish I had the resources to tell you, yeah. and I'm always very honest. When people write to me about child abuse or murder or death or anything, I always say, I'm not qualified to be able to give you, you advice. But you can get this there. But here's some links that you can... I mean, I'll probably say the wrong thing, which I have done so many times, you know, and, uh, you know, I was abused when I was a kid and people would say to me, you know, it's really good that you've grown up and you've let go of the anger. I'm like, no, I, I want them to die. And they're like, you can't say that. And I'm like, no, I can I can say that. They're like, well, it's not helpful to other people who have been survivors. And I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. I'll shut up then. But I still hope he dies. And then when he died, I was like, yes. Hmm. And that's my lived experience. Yeah. So that's why I'm no best place to begin advice to other people. I might say it wrong. But people might come out of this pandemic actually with a renewed spirit about dealing with this. I'm saying, well, yeah. you know, we've, I've been in a situation, they might say, where lockdown has actually made something so much worse that I now realise, especially as if this would ever happen again, I need to move on. I need to get out. Yeah, I've had a few friends whose marriages have um, broken down during lockdown. Um, mine has been on the birth thread of just... <laughs> like yesterday, my husband said to me, could you check there's toilet paper in the toilet before you go in instead of shouting to me, can I get toilet paper when you get into the toilet? And I was like, why are you even bringing this? I was like, why am I screaming? Why am I screaming? And then Ashley had to come out and adjudicate the argument. And I was like, why are we arguing about toilet paper? But it's wee tiny things is making me, you know, like, and she doesn't completely shut the jar on pickles in the fridge and I'll pick it up and it'll drop. And then I want to go through the house with a hammer. And I'm like, why am I insane? And I realise that we all have to... And we now actually say to each other, we are going to have a positive day yeah. today. Let's not get angry at small things. And then she'll check on me and he'll check on me and I'll say to him, you're being annoying. And he's like, right. And it's doubly hard for him because of his autism. He can't see a way out. He's uh-huh. like, but I should be allowed to say that to you. because I'm like, And Ashley's like... Let it go. And I'm like, okay, 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 okay. But the but um, some of the creativity as well that's come out, and for example, you know, the wonderful Black Lives Matters murals over yep. at Glasgow. Um, you know what? What I mean, I'm on, uh, on the board of Scottish Ballet. What Nicholas Shoesmith uh, did at the Edinburgh Festival, the most moving. I was crying watching Catalyst. It was just so extraordinary, and 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 that whole artistic response. Yeah, it's almost as if. It's been really tough for artists, tough for freelancers, Absolutely. appalling. 
But they've also found a different... There's a sense of enlightenment. There is a sense of a new enlightenment. A new enlightenment and and, and actually valuing artists. Yes, yes. I've discovered that I can paint more than I thought I could uh, because I do a bit of painting. Um, You've been writing? Writing, I'm writing a book, I'm writing plays. But the thing is, is, as a female stand-up, I found this to be quite an interesting point. A a lot of female stand-ups, we don't always get the gigs the boys get. There's a lot of comedy clubs don't book as many women. I wouldn't need to name them, but there is ones that don't. They book mainly men. So women, comedians, always had a side hustle. We always had a podcast. We're always writing for newspapers. We're always, we always had a side hustle gone for years. So when the pandemic hit, we already had a side hustle gone. And a lot of comics were like, well, what do we do now? And I'm like, Make a podcast, write a blog, do some writing, write a play. Do, and they're like, oh, how? And I'm like, well, we all would. And that has been a very interesting yeah. outcome for me, is that the amount of women who were COVID ready, yeah. <laughs> which was weird. Um, you know, suddenly my autobiography that was written 15 years ago became a bestseller because people was like, who's she? Yeah. Buy a book. You know, and we always had a sort of side hustle gone. Ashley and I had a podcast gone for 10 years. She does Twitch streaming. We've always had videos making. We've always been putting out content because we never always got the gigs. So we always had to have other things. That's worked. That has really worked. And that will continue. Yep, yep. You look at some of the brilliant comics who are... And lots of great boy comics. Some of them like Roscoe who are doing great (laughs) Twitch streams. That's what I love to see that a lot of the, the my, my comic friends. We Roscoe, who has put a lot of, he was in them up for it with Ashley, uh-huh. Roscoe and, and Christopher, putting all their artistic content onto Twitch, buying screens and doing green screens and doing animations, and it's really brought something out. And I'm, I'm really happy seeing that. I've just uh, recorded um, an episode of the reunion, a special episode for Christmas, uh, with um, Michael Rosen, who was. Um, in hospital for three months. I mean, he was in an induced coma, and then he, after the induced coma, had to learn to walk again. <sighs> he's still got long COVID. He doesn't have a sight mm. in one eye, and he's deaf. And it, it was talking with him and um, his wife, Emma, and his consultant and the nurses and so forth, and about that whole creative journey to come back to somewhere and the idea that what, what his consultant, um, uh, Professor Montgomery, said was, no matter what doctors and nurses and care staff can do, the creative impulse can be engendered by the tapes, the bird song, the jokes told on a tape beside the bed, yeah. the songs. That's what brings people back. Yes, I, I agree. We've weirdly stopped watching television and started listening to music. Mm-hmm. We, and that's not something we did as a family. But we have, um, the other night... Um, Ashley made tequila martinis we're no even big drinkers but we should, we're going to have cocktail hour and we're going to listen to classical music we went, that's what we're doing tonight she made these mean tequila mar- coffee martini things they were repulsive and um, we played music but we all just sat there and, and it's amazing because people are reaching into parts of their creative soul that they kind of went like me is a great example I'm a comedian I don't need to be doing anything else let me just go on stage and do my stick. But now I'm like, God, I'm really good at making videos. Yeah. I'm really good at writing this. I could write this and I can do this. And it's made me realise that 
there is a lot more to my abilities than what I originally thought. And I wonder if that actually is a case, not quite across the board, but with lots of people who've had to make do in men during lockdown and change what they do. Yeah. And actually, you can... Try rec- doing comedy on Zoom. Yeah. Try I did it last night. You've got all these people, and there's just a picture of my dead dad in the wall, and I'm like, this is not the audience I expected. And you can hear them laughing a wee bit, but you're... I depend on me going blah 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 ha 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 blah 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 ha 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 you go blah 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 silence you're like I'm gonna die my soul has just disintegrated inside me and trying to learn that skill has been quite a hard one but um for all the um different engagements in the arts you know it has been really hard and you know the government does put an element of money in but do you think uh, coming out of this that actually there has to be, I mean, it sounds, again, it sounds so sort of motherhood and apple pie, but there has to be a kind of recalibration about how people, well, you can't make people read, you can't make people uh, do poetry, you can't make people do stand-up, but actually that side of our lives, for our brain, mm-hmm. is as important as any other side. Absolutely. I think people have turned more to the arts and comedy mm-hmm. and listening. You look at um, Mr. Michael Spicer, who does The Voice Next Door, yeah. Um, he has come out of this with a skill that he didn't know he had as well. He does those videos and, you know, you look at people. I have never seen so many people engaged in books mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. I have mm-hmm. this Absolutely. pandemic. Me and Jane Fallon and uh, Emma Kennedy and a lot of other writers online, we would recommend books. Now it's a thing. Yeah. And you look at the reaction to Shuggy Bane. Massive. It's, I mean, it's a, a wonderful book. A, it's a wonderful book. But the reaction has been But phenomenal. the reaction is people are now like... God, tell me a good yeah. book. Tell me a good book. And books are for them. And the other thing is that, you know, people that wouldn't dream of going, I mean, as you know, book festivals are seen as incredibly kind of middle class yes, and yes. esoteric. Actually, book festivals online, people listening, I mean, I interviewed Douglas, interviewed lots of different people. And the, and the pick-up, the take-up of that is because actually they don't necessarily want to go to Edinburgh or Melrose no, or Aberdeen. That's right. But they can actually do it. So actually now the digital offering will be as important as yeah. the physical offering, if not more, after the pandemic. I have never seen so many people ask me for... I do um, book recommendations. I'm a voracious reader. And uh, I, I listen to... And I do audiobooks. And also I tell people that you can get free audiobooks in the library. You don't have to buy them online, which helps out libraries if you can go online. And I have never had so many people going, what was that series of books that you read? People asking, mm-hmm. it used to be one or two, now it's like 70. And now we all go online and chat about books. Music, people saying, oh my God, did you hear that old CD by Nils Lofgren? Mm-hmm. Really old. And I'm God, like, I've, yeah. still got, I've still got the vinyls. Yeah, Steely Dan. <laughs> wow. I've got the vinyls. Yeah, so there's this whole people going, I can't do this. So let's talk about yeah. this. And that has been really interesting for me as well. And it's engaged me in things that I forgot about, like my love of music and mm-hmm. my love of writing and my love of books and, and paintings, doing wee paintings and drawings and people going, oh my God, did you do that behind? Yeah, I did. And I used these paints. Blah, blah, blah. So that's been fabulous, I think. And tell me, when are you and Nicola Sturgeon going to be in the same room together, ever? We have been at one event, but I don't really want to be pals with politicians. They're not my friends. She, she's a politician. You don't be pals with them. You just do your best. And I know that she enjoys the Frank Get the Door because she did it for yes. the STV charity appeal. And we raised 
lots of money. That was the other thing during lockdown is we did charity appeals and we raised a lot of money for the Carers Trust. Ashley and I did a 12-hour live stream and we raised over 14 grand for the Scottish Carers Trust. Then we raised a lot of money for the STV Children's Appeal. I can't remember the exact figures, but there's a lot of money being raised. And I still sell the emotional life jacket badges yeah. and 100% of that profit goes to, I don't get a penny, it all goes to the Carers Trust because that's an emotional life jacket to keep your family afloat. Wear the wee badge and the money goes to the... And if I can raise... And then last week I did videos for the homeless charity that Richard Leonard spoke about yeah. but didn't visit. And um, I did shout-outs for £20 uh, a shout. I did 170 videos in one night. We raised over £3,000 just in that and over £4,000 in joint donations in a weekend. So you can use your wee bit of flashy fame for good as well you know I know but I think you're missing your calling I really do think you have to be a itinerant speech writer for Nicholas Sturgeon. I could never be a speech I could never be a politician I don't want to be a politician I, I, I want to be able to still shout really loudly and swear you know I get trolled a lot by politicians yeah. and I don't understand why politicians have to attack me I don't mind the public but if you're a paid politician maybe you should stick to your uh, constituents and then you wouldn't have lost all your seats in scotland but that's why i'm not allowed to be a politician <laughs> so and i don't want to be a politician i like having this freedom of expression and choice and it might not be everybody's bag not everybody likes it but like i've always said a lot of people really love what i do a lot of people really hate what i do both are correct that is the arts jenny godley thanks very much thank you If you'd like to know more about the Royal Society of Edinburgh and its Post-Covid Futures Commission, visit rsecovidcommission.org.uk or follow them on Twitter at news underscore rse.